Hey everyone, welcome to um, season three of Photography Chat with Merlin. Um, Happy New Year. Uh, I hope everyone is uh, doing well out there. Uh, we're going to have uh, Max joining us uh, shortly here. I apologize for uh, the delay in uh, getting going. Um, just running a little bit behind today. So let's see. Let's get Max in here. Okay. Oh, there we go. Hello. Hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Not bad. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Woo, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, just wait, I we have intro music now, so just a sec. There we go. Welcome to Photography Chat with Merlin. It's season three, episode one. Photography Chat with Merlin. And we got Max with us. Yeah, and thank you to Mocha Only for uh, making the sweet intro for me. I really appreciate that. <laughs> He's the man. So, how, how are you doing? How was, uh, how's your New Year's? How are uh, things in your part of the world? Um, I'm doing well. New Year's is cool. You know, um, I'm in New York and with everything going on with COVID, I like didn't want to go out. So my roommate and I, we like bought two bottles of champagne and just sat on the couch, almost slept through the ball drop, but woke up just in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I saw that there was like mixed different things for, for New Year's in different parts of the world. Like there was big fireworks displays all over in some places and then in Toronto, there was a bunch of people in Nathan Phillips Square, which is like a low-budget Times Square. And they were all, like, doing the countdown. And then there was no fireworks put on by the city because the town's in a lockdown. So it was just, like, one person set off, like, a handful of fireworks. And it was like, woo. Right. <laughs> it's like the big, big thrill of the one or two fireworks. I know exactly. we had a few here, but it definitely, the way it sounded, it definitely seemed like it was less than uh, other years. But it is what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, yay COVID. <laughs> right. Also, we're kind of matching. We uh, we yeah. we the similar color schemes today. <laughs> we got the Kodak yellow going on. Yeah, exactly. It's working out. So, uh, are you native to New York? Is that like where uh, where you've lived your whole life, or are you just uh, there now? Or um, so I was born and raised in Long Island, New York. So probably like a forty-five minute drive from where I'm at now in Queens. Um. So yeah, born and raised in New York, went to college in Westchester, New York, and now I'm now I've been in Astoria for almost five years. Oh, cool! And so, Astoria, like where where is that in? So that's, um, so it's just like right outside of Manhattan. It's like one of the five boroughs of. of so it's like New York, but it's more. Um, it's like got more of like a residential, like small business kind of vibe. It's not like skyscrapers and skyscrapers, you know. That's fair. That's more Manhattan, right? Yeah, yeah, that's more Manhattan. Queens is a little bit quieter, a little bit more like, um, you know, community based and all that jazz. So I love it here. The food is great here, too. There's so much food. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to go to Queens because there's um, there's a place there I want to check out called uh, Frankel's Deli. Um, uh, I've, I've got I've a, you've never, oh, you've never heard of it. Um, I have a, like a bit of a man crush on LP. 
from Brother okay. Jules and like of his own uh, thing. And he's like one of the owners of Frankel's. So I've always, always wanted to like go have um, like a smoked meat sandwich at, uh, at Frankel's and like, you Ooh. know, maybe run into him one day. I'll have to up and uh, give you my review. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love that. You know, that, that was like one of the things I've always wanted to check out of, of New York is uh, all the food. I've heard it's supposed to be pretty amazing there. It's, it's a good time. We got plenty of options. <laughs> yeah, the closest I've gotten to uh, experiencing New York was a four and a half hour layover at LaGuardia. That was um, the second worst airport experience I've had next to O'Hare in Chicago. So, oh no! <laughs> but you didn't even get to leave the airport, so you were you were locked in there. No, but we did get to go back and forth between two different terminals four times. Oh, that's always. I mean, yeah. recreation. Oh, fun, you know. Yeah, they're like, oh, your gate changed over here. You need to go to this terminal. And then we get over there. They're like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at the other terminal. So and they're oh, like, you're God. not supposed to be here. You're... And then I was just like, get your shit together, American Airlines. Girl. I Yeah, my, my last airport experience was like the end of 2019. And it was an absolute nightmare. It wasn't LaGuardia, though. It was, um, it was Newark in New Jersey, like right outside of Manhattan. But, oh, my gosh. I was like shaking with anxiety. It was airports stress me out i've heard that one's supposed to be pretty crazy too but i mean at, at least none of us have had the airport experience like the uh band of canadians who are now stuck in mexico thanks to their douchebaggery on on their um private flight oh i did not even about that oh it's it's like it's a bunch of news right now that's going on in canada so there's like all of these reality tv stars from quebec um, which is a province in Canada that's been trying to annex itself from the rest of Canada for quite some time now um, okay. because we don't believe in the French enough, I guess. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but all of these people um, chartered a Sunwing plane to fly like 150 of these reality TV stars down to uh, Mexico. And they filmed themselves like partying and vaping and bringing like their own booze and like getting shittered and like having basically a rave on this flight, which violated a whole ton of like health and safety rules and, um, right. you know, aviation rules and all this stuff. And now like, I think like 10 of them managed to like get home by pleading with airlines, but like every single airline in Canada has been like, nah, we're, you're, you don't get to leave us. Yeah, and then the people that did make it back were met with law enforcement when they landed to, like, you know, take them to uh, get charged or whatever for all the things they violated. So, you know, moral of the story, vaping's not cool, kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, that is messy. Wow. So, you, you have a new book out. I do, yeah. Um, we just got a, my first book ever published with... Um, with Tired Eyes Publishing, shout out to Kevin from Tired Eyes, um, called Until Night Comes, and I'm really, really proud of it. Hey, so what um, what made you think about putting the book there? Like, what was your inspiration and, like, you know? For, like, the project itself? Yeah. Um, so outside of photography, I also am um, a drag queen, and I work in New York City nightlife, and I've been doing drag now for about nine years, which is crazy to say. Um, and so when the pandemic happened, you know, for a while, I, you know, the epicenter of the whole global, the global epicenter of the pandemic was Manhattan and New York. And, uh, you know, all of our bars shut down, all that stuff shut down. And, you know, all of a sudden me and 
all these queer nightlife workers and like queer sex workers, all of us just had no resources for income. We had, we had lost our connections to like our community. Right. Um, and then, so at some point during the lockdown, I just started cause I had nothing else to do. I just started making pictures of me, my, my partner at the time, my roommates and, uh, then eventually I kind of branched out and started reaching out to friends who would be comfortable having me come to their apartments. Cause I was like, well, you know, if I'm feeling at a loss, you know, of community, I know I'm not alone in that feeling. So I started kind of networking and as people, you know, got more and more comfortable, they let me come over. I keep my mask on the whole time. And, um, I just really wanted to make these like intimate portraits of these queer nightlife people when we had nothing else, you know, trying to like do whatever they can to like have that sense of connection and that serotonin, you know what I mean? Um, and then one thing kind of led to another, you know, whenever I go photo shoot, photograph someone, they would give me two or three more friends that they know that would be willing to be photographed. And then I kind of built this little social network through it, which was really cathartic, I think during that time. That's awesome. Yeah. So how, how long did you spend putting the project together before you started working? Um, I, I mean, with this project specifically from the book, I started shooting it pretty early on into the pandemic. I'd probably say like April or May of 2020. Um, I started photographing for it. And then at the end of 2020, I had self-published actually like a tiny little zine of the work, kind of like a, as like a bookmark, because I knew I, I wasn't done with it, but I wanted to just have something small to kind of document the first year of it. Um, and then that's how I, that's how I got connected with Tired Eyes Publishing. And then, so we kept talking about it. I kept shooting and then we kind of finished shooting for the book. I want to say July or August of, of 2021. And then from then on, we started building the book, building book dummies, writing intros, you know, all that nerdy geeky book stuff that I love. That's fun. Yeah. I, I love books. I love yeah. the medium. I think moving into photo books has become like such a fun little obsession for me. <laughs> photo books are fantastic. Like it's, um, you know, outside of film uh, and cameras, I think photo books is like the next thing I spend most of my money on. Um, oh, yeah. Because there's <laughs> so many cool ones out there. Um, lots of people are working on like all sorts of really interesting projects. Um, Always. So it's been uh, it's been a good time, I think, for that because a lot of people have been working on on projects like photo books and whatnot. So there's some cool yeah. creative output that's come out of the pandemic. Yeah, I think you. I think in the last like five years, there's been such like a surge of photographers moving towards the book format. Um, not to use the word like trend or trendy, but I think a lot of people are seeing the value of having their work in like book format as opposed to maybe the be all end all being like a gallery presentation or something like that, you know? Um, so I'm really proud of the book and I, I'm able to have been able to work on it, you know, with, with tired eyes publishing. That's awesome. It, I mean, it's nice to have something tangible that like people can, can hold and, and look at. Like that's one of the reasons why I like uh, Polaroid photography so much is like, it's, it's a cool medium that um, just, gives people something that they don't have with like the Instagram world that uh, is kind of taking things over so much. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but, but that's the cool thing with Polaroids too, is right. It's like, in, unless you scan it, right. It's, it's a one of a kind 
object. It almost goes from being like a two-dimensional flat thing to being like a really, like you said, like tangible, physical, special object. I love, I love Polaroids. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the thing that I like about Polaroids is um, they're like one of the most honest mediums out there where it's like, if you take something on 35 mil or medium format or even large format, you have a negative and you can like reproduce that image over and over again. And like, even if you were scanned a Polaroid, it's still not going to be the same as like holding the Polaroid and seeing it in person. Um, And if you take two Polaroids back to back, like they're, they're not going to be the same. Now the caveat with that is now that Polaroid has the instant lab out there, you could reproduce multiples of the same image but even then if you're using uh instant lab to do that just the behavior of polaroid itself and how unpredictable it it can be um even then when you're reproducing the same image you could have differences in each one of those polaroids yeah no for sure my uh, my roommate actually she was gifted (laughs) this i think it's similar to what you're talking about but it's it's like a little Polaroid printer that you like put your phone on yeah. and you produce like pictures from your phone onto Polaroids. But, and she's done, she's done it like a few times, but the first time she was trying it out, she did three of the same picture and they did all like all the exposures were different. So it still does have that uniqueness, but it's cool to see how they're kind of taking off with it now. Yeah. And the instant lab's cool too. Cause I've played a little bit with it where I've built, um, like collages so you could take like one big image and have the instant lab cut it up into a bunch of different polaroids and then you can like reconstitute the polaroids back together to be like one big image which is kind of cool oh that is really cool that's really awesome i never heard of that yeah i know i i shot a lot of polaroids like during the time of shooting for this project too i probably shot close to a hundred i i started losing count but i have them all like tucked away in like a a drawer somewhere and i included some polaroids in the book there's like two like double page spreads of of polaroids and i remember having conversations with kevin uh the publisher and i was really indecisive on like which ones to include in the book and you know scan and do all that and which ones to keep as like my little private collection (laughs) That's really cool, though. And so if people wanted to get the book, where could they uh, track it down? Yeah. So um, if you go to my Instagram, there is a link in my bio to Tired Artist Publishing's website. They make actually, I mean, I love every single book that they come out with is just like so beautiful. But um, my book is on the Tired Eyes website. Um, And then if anyone that's watching lives in um, New York or is willing to come to New York, um, I have copies physically as well that I sell. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I I bring them. I I just started actually bringing a few copies with me to um, all of like my drag shows like my gigs and it's kind of you know most drag queens have like t-shirts for merch or you know stickers and i'm like i've got a bo- i got a photo book babe <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool yeah do you have plans for uh, for another book or um i mean eventually i mean again i i'm such a geek when it comes to the photo book as a medium and i i love the process of making them i i've been i've had thoughts in my head about like what my next I guess, project or focus is going to be with my work. Um, But it's so, it's 
so soon to say like when or if there will ever be a book of it but that would be the goal within a few years you know i think with this project you know because it was primarily about queer people specifically during the pandemic not that we're out of it now you know we're still in it unfortunately <laughs> but i felt like i felt yeah. like there was um a little bit of like a, a window that i like a that i had to shoot and produce the work within right um but i think I really would like to challenge myself to make, to work on a project that feels a little bit more um, long-term, you know? So kind of been juggling some ideas around for something that won't have like a, um, a finite timeline, if that makes sense. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The, the pandemic stuff is, is interesting. So um, I feel like Dan was saying uh, something about the quarantine Polaroid book that I, I put out just before the new year um yeah i, I call it quarantinoroids i and, love that um the subtitle is 53 days of lockdown in polaroid or the fi the first 53 days of lockdown um which was only supposed to last two weeks in toronto and uh -huh. lasted several months um but at first i was like oh it's gonna be super easy to take a polaroid a day or a couple for two weeks but then you know we got into like by the time i got to day 53 i was like this project is gonna fucking bankrupt me if i like <laughs> keep taking polaroids until the pandemic ends because <clears throat> you know it's been two years now expensive yeah pol polaroids are, are not cheap by any means um, i mean yeah yeah so that that was a an interesting project and i'm i'm glad it's over now <laughs> we, uh, you want to, you want to keep, keep shooting. Well, I guess, I mean, what is it looking like up there in Canada right now regarding the, the pandemic and everything? Like it's not, not nearly as locked down or anything, right? Well, it really depends on where you live. So yeah. when I did the quarantine roids book, I was living in Toronto and outside of Quebec, Ontario has had the second most intense lockdowns in Canada. So like, Quebec had full stay-at-home orders with um, curfews as well. So if you were out of your house after the, the initial one was 8 p.m., now in this next round of lockdowns that they're having in the East Coast, uh, they're doing 10 p.m. Um, mm -hmm. You're allowed to go out if you have, like, pets to, like, walk your dogs and things like that. Um, and there was one lady who got fined because she was walking her husband on a leash and claimed that she was out walking her pet. And the police were like, we see what you're trying to do there, but your husband does not constitute a pet. So you are two human beings outside during curfew. Even if that is like their own little, you know, we don't, we don't yuck other people's yums, but yeah, that's a stretch. Yeah. That, they were like creative, but no, like, that's, no, that's yeah. a hard no. And then, uh, in Toronto and like Ontario, we, we had stay at home orders. So um, you were supposed to stay home and technically the cops could fine you if you were out of your house for non-essential purposes. But the police chief said like, I'm not going to like have people doing that. Cause like they would have to like interrogate every person that's like out being like, what are I you doing? And right. yeah. So like by law, 
you could get fined for being out in Ontario during the first lockdown, but the cops were like, unless it's glaringly obvious that you're doing something not good during it, you're, you'll get away with it. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it was kind of weird because, um, I mean, the first, the first lockdown in Toronto, people took it seriously. Like, you know, we were all, we were all scared. It was, yeah. um, it was crazy. You know, just seeing what was going on in New York, it was like, holy shit, like, we don't want that here. Um, and a lot of people got sick, and it, it was a little crazy, because, like, Toronto is the most populated part of Canada. Like, right. I think in the greater Toronto area, it's, like, something like 6.5 or 7 million people, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it was <laughs> weird. And it was kind of intense, like, going out into that. Uh, mm -hmm. when people were still staying at home because it was like eerie like you'd be on the highways and there'd be like three or four cars with you and you're just like did the world end <laughs> yeah i remember yeah i remember uh sometime i want to say maybe june june of 2020 my my roommate and i we like went we went out to Rockefeller Center, which is like right in the heart of Manhattan. Normally it's packed with tourists and, you know, all these other people. And there was not a single person out in the street. It was like very, very surreal. <laughs> you know, it was almost like a dream state walking through the city that empty and that, that like lifeless, you know, it was wild. That would have been so wild. Like I, I saw all the pictures people were taking of like, you know, San Francisco and LA and New York and stuff when like, like things were shut down, just these like vast empty spaces where like typically you just see like, you know, hordes of people. And it, it yeah. was kind of wild to see in, I, I'm living in British Columbia now in, in Vancouver and the pandemic is very different here from the East coast so the governments out east have been a bit more restrictive, but um, here in BC, they've been a little more like, eh, like, I do your like, best. We trust our citizens to, like, have common sense, which, I mean, there's a lot of anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers and, um, you know, freedom fighters and yeah. whatever out here. And um, it's... Yeah, it's really weird. Like, it's just, it's so weird to hear some of the arguments that these people have. And I mean, yeah, we, and, and the wild thing is, like, some you, you, like, talk to these people a little bit, and it's like, well, it's obvious that you're not uneducated. Like, you're an intelligent person. How did you get here? <laughs> yeah. Who hurt you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why, why is it so hard to give a shit about the greater good? Like, yeah. The selfishness is um, is something else, and then I don't know if you've watched "Don't Look Up" yet. I haven't watched it yet. I've heard mixed reviews about it. It was um, really good. It's on my list just to like you know not get it over with, but I feel like whenever there's those Netflix movies or shows that come out that like everybody is buzzing and talking about on social media, there's almost like an obligation to then watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think like why pe some people don't like it is a little too real like it's just it kind of hits the it's it hits on the nose a little too i mean hard. 
Black Mirror is one of my favorite shows, so I can handle I can handle that. I can handle the reality check. But... Well, so it's like Black Mirror though. It's a different. It's a different it's kind of real from parody, Black Mirror. Right? Well, not only that it's a parody, but it like we're living in the time that that movie was in like just from a how people are behaving kind of thing but yeah. but anyway so how did you get into photography like what got you started with that um so when i was um in high school i mean i was always kind of an artsy kid like i did theater i was in the band the marching band like you know i i did all of other forms of arts and stuff but um i think when i was in ninth grade maybe so i was like 14 um one of our dearest family friends who's a painter gave me an uh her her old 35 millimeter camera and was like here like i don't use this anymore have it you know and um i was immediately fascinated because i had also around that time just bought or just gotten my my first like digital camera and i mean it was nothing special. It was like a cute little point and shoot. You know what I mean? And I would take pictures of flowers or of dogs or whatever. But then I started taking photography classes in high school. And we, my high school actually had pretty decent investing in their arts like lessons and stuff. So we had um, AP photography. I don't know if you guys have like AP or things well, like that. What's, what's AP mean? So AP is like... Um, uh, a level of class that you could take in high school in the states, where you get a you, there's a grading system at the end of the at the end of the semester from one to five, but you wh whatever test you're taking or whatever the requirement is for the final for the final exam, you would actually like send the test out to people that are part of the AP committee for the United States or whatever. I forget what okay. AP even. Was it they, Associated Press? Or maybe <laughs> your guess is as good as mine honestly but they do your score back and then when you get ready to go to college um sometimes ap tests or ap classes can count as like credits to school or they just like look good when you're like applying to college so um i took like four or five photography classes in high school took the aps and then in college i i majored in it um in fine art photography at, um, at SUNY Purchase. But, you know, the camera I shoot with now, which is, prim well, I, I mean, I use a bunch of different cameras, but primarily the camera I use for most of the book until night comes and for most of my other personal work, I use a large format camera. And that I didn't get into until I think my third, my third year at, at Purchase. Um, I got into a really intense eBay bid with one other lady in like Ohio. Uh, I was like sweating up until the final seconds of the meeting. And actually, I'll tell you a quick anecdotal story. The when the bid was ending, it was when I was like in the middle of a shift at my day job at the time. And I remembered that day going into work and saying to my manager, I was like, I need to take an early lunch because I need to go to the Microsoft store, the computer store down the at the end of the mall. And <laughs> on one of their demo computers and make sure I win this bid. And so then I go to the Microsoft store and I'm sweating from anxiety over this camera, right? And uh, all the employees are coming up to me being like, do you need help with anything? Is there any questions you have about this computer? And I'm just manic. And so I'm like sweating and I'm like, no, I'm fine. You know? <laughs> uh, but then that was, you know, that, that camera now is like my child. I, I treat it like I cradle it like a baby, you know? 
What's uh, what camera is it? It's a large format camera. It's um, the brand is Tachihara, so it's like a wooden large format camera, uh, field camera, and um, I wonder if I can grab it, but um, it's really pretty. I love I love the wooden cameras. There was this other there's this other brand of wooden large format cameras called Shenhao. It's like a Chinese brand. I've heard of those. And ones, yeah. Looking at them and thinking that they were so beautiful. Um, oh, that's my mom. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I remember looking at those and thinking that they were so beautiful, but they were like five thousand dollars upwards. So I was like, I can't afford that. And then uh, I found the camera that I have now. Same exact specs you know what i mean and also like a beautiful wood finish and like for way cheaper i guess because it was like a lesser known brand or whatever is it uh, uh what size like four by five five by four six? by five yeah nice yeah. four by five i would love to eventually have an eight by ten camera but if i want to be shooting color that stuff is way too expensive it yeah it's a, it's a little wild like i so i I love large format too. Like I, I've got a, um, a Wista four by five. Um, oh. it's, it's a metal one, but I I've seen a couple of the wooden Wistas and I've definitely like drooled and, and wanted them. And like the ultimate dream would be to get a Deerdorf. Um, those. Uh, such those, a sexy camera. <laughs> yes. It's just, I, I I've got a, a friend here in Vancouver named Henry. Um, he's like a super old school photographer um he's like 80 something i think and um he's like hey check this out and he like opens up this camera bag and hands me a deerdorf casually and oh my gosh. i was just like uh what and he's just like it's beautiful and i'm like yeah it is like you want he's like nope i'm never selling it and i'm like why are you oh teasing this with me <laughs> yeah yeah one of my one of my former mentors um this photographer lois connor she shoots with a custom built seven by 17 large for like a banquet camera. Um, but she does landscape work. So she would, she's had like three shoulder replacements because she like hikes up mountains with this giant camera over her shoulder on a tripod. And like, shit. and she's, I mean, she's older now. I think she's in her sixties perhaps. Um, so that, that stuff takes a toll, but it's, such a beautiful format and the quality you get in the in the negative is just oh, it's wild like it's um it, it's so cool like i i love i love shooting with with the four by five um i'm trying to find a, a reasonable eight by ten because i have most of the fixings to do eight by ten polaroids just not mm. an eight by ten camera that would be dope. That would be really cool. Yeah, and then, so that's kind of the idea. Like with the with the new year, I mean, now that we're like going into another fucking lockdown or whatever. But um, I I signed a, a lease on a studio space here in Vancouver, which is kind of interesting. It's an old motel that um, got sold to some developers that are going to turn it into a condo eventually. But um, it, there's a few years away before that's going to happen. So there's this organization that. Uh, rents properties from developers and then turns them into artist spaces. And okay. so they're turning this place into an artist's lodge where um, all the rooms that were in decent shape, they're renting out as studios. And um, so I'd like to do some like portrait stuff in there and I'm going to turn the bathroom into a dark room so I can process uh, the four by five stuff. And that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. 
It'll be my kind bathroom. of fun. I mean, my bathroom is also my dark room. I <laughs> what I have to develop and stuff. Absolutely. But that's cool, though. That seems like a really cool, like, and especially if there's multiple little studios in the one building, like, what a cool way, too, to, like, meet other artists, perhaps, like, in the hallway and stuff, you know? Yeah, I've met a couple of my neighbors so far, and they're really interesting people. Like, uh, there's two gals that I met um that uh, are both photographers one of them is also a videographer that uh works in 16 mil which is is really cool and there's yeah. some like product development guys that i met uh, that are downstairs uh, from me so and it's going to be run by uh, the vancouver mural fest so they're going to have a bunch of different events going on throughout the year and they're going to paint the building and, and stuff and so it'll be an interesting experience, but like the large format is, is such a cool thing. Like it's, it's, it's really cool that you did the book in, in large format. Cause, um, that like taking portraits with, with large format is such a different beast than being like, Hey, can I take your picture with like a 35 mil or even a medium format? Oh yeah. There's no way to, there's no way to get a candid picture, you know, with, with the large format. I mean, you know, whenever I would go to people's, whenever I was going to people's apartments with it, you know, most of the people I was photographing, you know, don't know much about film photography and, and things like that. So, you know, I would kind of generally explain the kind of camera I had before coming and then they'd be like, all right, cool, whatever. And then I'd get there and they'd see me like opening it up and, pull, you know, pulling the bellows out. And they're like, oh, this is like, you know, you get the, you get the whole comment like, wow, I didn't know they make these still, you know, <laughs> Um but it, it was it was wild because then, you know, while I'm setting the camera up, because that takes a little bit, I would use that time to kind of make conversation, especially if it was people that I don't really know as well, you know, kind of like loosen them up a little bit because it does feel very formal to have your portrait taken by a large format. You know, I feel like I feel like sometimes people felt a little intimidated when I first got there and started setting it up. So you kind of have to like build that break down, you know, break the ice a little bit and kind of build that little relationship and build that trust, you know. Um, but I think I think when I was making these pictures, so many people had said to me when I get to their apartments, something along the lines of like, wow, this is like, you know, the first human interaction I've had in weeks or, you know, in a month. And that was kind of really... Um, Hard, like sad a little bit you know but it, it felt cool because you could see that there was an excitement like an electricity that like these people had because like they were having a physical interaction when we weren't able to really leave our homes you know yeah it, it's cool you're able to do that for those people because like I, I know th this has been a very isolating time for for so many of us and um, yeah you know e even little things like just before the latest lockdown when things were starting to relax a little bit i shook my first hand in like fucking a year and a half maybe two years and <clears throat> when when the person put their hand out i was like i kind of panicked for a minute because i'm like what 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 do i do with that <laughs> like, it's Right? It's crazy how like it's it's like changed the way that we interact with like not just other people but just even with like a public objects and you know public spaces in general. It's, it's completely changed the way that I think a lot of people experience those those things, which is wild. It is really wild. Uh, but we have a question here from uh, it's Danny 
Hidalgo. Um, I'd love to get Max's perspective on the differences and benefits of film photography versus digital. Love his work. Oh, yeah, I love Danny. Um, I mean, I, I've talked about this with friends before. I think digital to film, I don't think one is better than the other. I think it all is just a matter of personal preference, you know. For me, you know, coming from more of like a, like a formal fine art background, you know, we, we took digital and film and definitely built up a skills in both. For me, I've always just really appreciated the analog process. Um, I love being hands-on. And I, I feel sometimes when I shoot digital, I feel disconnected from that creative process sometimes, you know. Clearly, there's, you know, it goes without saying that there's obviously pros to shooting digital. You can see the image right away. You can take as many as you want. You don't have to pay for film. You don't have to pay for processing. Like, all of that is great. But I... I don't know. For me, I like I like not knowing if the image is even going to come out until I develop it, you know, because it makes me it makes me shoot more intentionally and it makes me shoot with more consciousness of the frame and of everything, you know, because you have, you know, with 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 large format, a box of film of like a box of Kodak portrait right now in, in New York uh, is like fifty three dollars for 10 sheets. Holy so, shit. So each picture I take costs over $5 per click plus the developing and all that. So like, I, I really, um, I really take my time every time I click the button, you know, but then I also just love the, the process of the developing, the developing process, especially now that I do that myself, it's so fun, you know, in the scanning thing. And then when it comes to the quality of the image, you know, obviously they have digital cameras nowadays that, the image like it's just the human eye you know what i mean or better even but um i don't know there's a certain quality to the color or to the crispness of you know textures in 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 film that i think personally i don't think it can be replicated with digital um no i i agree like you can get close you can approximate it and especially uh, when you photoshop you know people have all those presets now that you know they'll have presets called like kodak gold or ilford 400 and you slap that on a digital picture and it's meant to kind of emulate that that quality right but i would rather just use use tools that have that quality to them without having to add filters and stuff you know yeah, and like you said, like you have to be a lot more mindful, especially with large format. Like my my photo mentor that that taught me large format, um, he when he was explaining it to me before I started using the cameras, he was like, "It's somewhere between meditating and wanting to kill yourself," because <laughs> he was just like, "You don't take photos with the large format; you make photos with them." And so it's like something that when you have a thirty five mil, you're just like, "Oh, that looks cool," click, and it's done. It's like, oh, that looks cool. Set up the tripod, get it all set up, put the lens on it, get, you know, coarse focus, do fine focus, forget the dark slide. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really, that's one of the best ways I've ever put it with people and or heard it put. Like, the just the, just the shift in vernacular of taking a picture to making a picture and how different those two things are, right? 
Because it's like you said, I think you could, you know, street photographers that use 35 millimeter and or even medium format, you know, you can go out there and just like click, click, click. But you really have to be so intentional with every little detail with, with large format. So you really, it really, even, even before you even make the picture itself, just, you know, there's set dressing, there's lighting, you have to read the light meter and see what your exposure is going to be. And, you know, there's so much to tinker with in the physical world outside of just, you know, the camera itself. So, but I, I, it's a painstaking process, at least compared to other formats of photography. Right. But, um, I don't know, there's kind of just like a sickness that I, or like an obsession with. (laughs) I I think sickness was the right word. It it, it gets in us and like, it, it, you know, it, it drives us to do things that don't make sense to many people. Um, and, and Danny also asked, what do you guys think about the people who shoot with digital so and then they just edit their photos to look vintage or use film filters that seems to be trendy nowadays? I mean, I think that leads us into the conversation that we kind of like jokingly avoided earlier about uh, Instagram photography. Right. And and you got to do it for the grams. <laughs> you got to do it for the grams. Yeah, um, I think I, again, I I think if you're out there making pictures your work is your art, your art, you know, it is what it is and everyone does it differently and there's no better or worse. It's all a matter of preference. I firmly believe that with all, with all mediums of art. Um, but it's definitely um, not for me, you know, it, the whole, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I, I post my foot, my photos on Instagram because again, there's almost that sense of obligation or, you know, fear of, feeling irrelevant when you're not when you don't have a social media presence you know and it's even more like that with the drag world and with with nightlife world but uh you know it's it's just not not what i like to do i'm very minimal with my editing even like after i scan a negative and i bring it in of course you know you fix the exposure here or whatever there but i i've never used a preset or any of the like the quick fixes that you can do on on Photoshop nowadays, um, it's just not my, not my thing. <laughs> I I'm super lazy with it, so I <laughs> go auto auto. <laughs> looks good. Auto tone or auto contrast. For some reason, the auto color always makes it look ridiculous, and I'm like, yeah, auto color where- fucks it up, but the other two are fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but, uh, um, but I, I, I don't like, like to your point there, whatever tools people use to create, good for them. Like, I, right. I don't think there's any tools that are better or worse than others. Like, it all depends on what your comfort level is and uh, what you're exposed to to work with. And like, there's nothing that's going to make you like, if, like, go buy this thing and you'll immediately be better. Like, you know, nothing yeah. like that really exists. It's like when people ask, like, what's the best camera I should buy? It's like, how much money do you have? You right. Know, that's <laughs> what do you? Yeah. How yeah. much money do you have? What What are you interested in photographing? You know, what kind of what other artists or styles of photography inspire you? Like, there's all that that goes into those decisions, you know? So there's never, ever one better or worse, right or wrong. It's it's your art, you know? Absolutely. Like, I, I've got a bit of a Leica boner right now because I've been looking at a bunch of photo books that were shot predominantly with Leicas. And then a friend mm-hmm. loaned me 
an M3, which, you know, before I was just like, it's just an expensive gimmick thing. Like, you know, like is it for people that just have money that they want to throw away. And then now after using one, I'm like, holy shit, this is actually a really nice camera. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that, that used to be me with Hasselblads for, for quite <laughs> so, so a while. So you got a Hasi then? <laughs> no, I don't got one. I have a Mamiya for medium form and I have a Mamiya, um, RZ67. But I remember when I was in when I was in college still, I didn't I never had a medium format camera in college. But one of my peers, uh, whose father had also been a photographer, handed him down this like beautiful, beautiful Hasselblad. Oh, and I remember the only I remember thinking that the only thing I didn't like about it was that it shot square format. But the the body of the camera itself was so beautiful and i was like wow i want one of these so bad and then i remember looking for them online and seeing the prices that they were and i was like never mind i'm okay without it yeah but now with your mamiya you could almost get like a down payment on a house with it oh trust me (laughs) i i bought i bought my mamiya just this last summer and then like a month after that um a friend of mine was selling their old digital camera and i really needed a digital camera upgrade so i kind of like knew i shouldn't have put the money down on it after having just dropped the money i did on my mamiya but i kind of just like sucked it up and did it and then i looked at my funds my remaining money that i had to my name and i was like crap i made a mistake (laughs) Not that it was a mistake. I regret nothing because I, I love both the cameras and I, I work with them both regularly now. So, but yeah, sometimes that, that stuff adds up quickly. <laughs> it does. It's, it's not a cheap hobby for sure. Like it, no, um, uh, it gets uh, you know, wild at times. And that's another reason why I don't know if I would ever really realistically get an eight by 10. If I, I always say that if I were to ever get an eight by 10, that would be the day that I only shoot black and white. Cause at, it, uh, a box of a box of eight by ten color film, like if you get a box of Portra right now, eight by ten, and they're about to jack the prices of Portra here in the states. I'm not sure about Canada. Oh god, but, like it, they're jacking it up everywhere. Like, all the um, are going way up, um, insanely up. Like it's unreasonable. Even before, jack, even before the price jack, a box of ten sheets of eight by ten Portra was like two hundred and fifteen dollars for ten sheets. And I was like, listen, unless I'm rich, you know, unless I'm trying to become the next, like, Philip Lorca de Corshan, like, selling my art for 40 grand, you know, like, there's no <laughs> way I can afford or sustain that kind of practice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy expensive. One one thing that, like, when, when I do go the 8x10 route, now I'll probably experiment with this a little bit with 4x5 before I make the jump to 8x10, but um, shooting on negative photo paper and then contact printing that onto another uh, negative to make a positive. Mm-hmm. And that could be a cheaper way to do eight by 10 black and white by just, you know, doing uh, direct paint onto like RC paper. Right, right, right. That's true. Yeah. I, I've, but, and, and that's, I mean, and that's another thing right there that like why I love film so much is like, you have this like, even though it is more painstaking, like that's such a unique way of processing an image, you know? And, you know, I have, I have a photo book by this guy, Chris McCaw, who would, who he would put photosensitive paper right into his eight by 10. I think he shot eight by 10. And then he would make these like, um, these like light paintings by just 
pointing the camera up at the sun and just letting like like direct sunbeams like move across the the lens on right onto the paper. Some one time actually his camera set on fire because because <laughs> it, it hit right and it just like magnified. In like Arizona, where it's like 110 degrees on a on a cool day, you know what I mean. So, but uh, even that I think is like such a cool process, and that's another thing that I really want to challenge myself to play around with more now that I now that my book is done and I'm you know I'm kind of in that you know what next phase. I really want to see what ways I can manipulate the medium further and be a little bit more um, experimental with it. I know that's like a um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like that's a loaded word, experimental, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean you, you got to play around with it. That's, you got to have fun part of the fun. Yeah. Um, Megan's dark room had a question here. Um, do you have a favorite part of the full film process? Like, do you like shooting the photo, developing the negative, or printing it yourself if you print in the dark room? Um, well, I don't have a dark room to print analog anymore currently um so i can only i can only like develop and stuff for myself but then i always have to scan the negatives and if i want to print i have to print digitally but in school that was and to this day is still my favorite part and i miss it dearly is uh analog printing i love the smell of fixative i remember <laughs> i remember like the, the smell of the chemicals uh in in like a developing dark room is like one of my favorite things I used to after after I graduated college, I had gone back and visited a couple times, and uh, I would just down into the photo labs while some students were printing, just because I like missed the smell of fixer, you know. That's um, awesome. So that that that's my favorite process of all time. Unfortunately, I can't do it at the moment. So I think now my favorite process is when. I Pull pull my negatives out of the out of the dunk out of the tank for the first time after I've developed the negatives and like holding them up to light. It feels like opening up a present on Christmas morning, you know, because it's also like yeah, like it came out. Look at how healthy it is. Look at these healthy tones. Yeah, you're you like a proud papa because you just made something. Exactly, exactly. That's that. It's it never. It's never not rewarding to take your negatives out of the tank and see them looking all healthy and beautiful. Danny had two more comments here before you left. One of them was, I mean, we hate to admit it, but having good gear really can make a difference. Um, I have to completely disagree with that. Um, (laughs) Because good gear can't make you take a good photo if you can't take a good photo. Um, This camera here is just a cheap little hunk of plastic that takes (laughs) wicked awesome photos if you know like to see something that looks interesting or shoot it like it's it's like a 20 dollar piece of plastic and some of my favorite photos i've done with this thing some of my favorite pictures in my book are shot on disposable cameras like a disposable camera that i bought at like cvs you know what i mean yeah so it's like good gear can help but if you can't take a good picture it's not gonna make any difference yeah um Sure. And then his last question was, Max, how do you know you were ready to create a photo book and what was the most challenging part of that coming together? Um, I knew I was ready to make a book. That's hard. I kind of, I guess it's a hard question. Cause I, like I said, I, I self-published that zine first um, on the computer and I, 
I think I, I think I knew eventually I wanted there to be a full book, but I didn't know what means I had to do that. And then Tired Eyes Publishing reached out to me and we started talking and that kind of felt almost, not like fate because that's a dramatic way of phrasing it, but something clicked in my head where I was like, okay, like, you know, the work is being seen. Clearly there's an interest in there being a book from people outside of myself. So let's like commit to making it happen, you know, and, and my, the publisher, Kevin, um, was such an angel to work with. And I think especially for it being my, my first book ever not published by myself. Um, I was so grateful for him because he was so patient with me every step of the way, you know, I'm, I'm a really indecisive person. And I think that kind of leads into what the most challenging part of it was because I, I will, I will sit there and like roll through pros and cons of every decision losing sleep. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm the worst um, at being decisive when it comes to things like when it comes to things I'm passionate about sometimes, but he was so patient with me every step of the way, which I couldn't be more thankful for. I think the most difficult thing with the book aside from that though, was probably just like the nitty gritty, like picking the paper type, um, designing like the spine and, you know, um, I think right for me, truly, I think it was actually writing my introduction because I, uh, I, I'm a good writer, but I'm not like a writer. I'm not amused by any means. You know what I mean? So I think I was a little nervous that the, that when people started getting the book, um, people weren't going to think that my introduction made sense or felt connected to the work. So I read it like over and over again. I sent it to like 10 friends being like, what do you think about this? You know, um, I think that was the most difficult part, but it ended up coming out great. I actually, I love the introduction. Um, I love the whole book, honestly, but maybe I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd hope you enjoy the book. Like, yeah, being yeah right, something you that know. you invested a lot of your time and energy into. Yeah, yeah. But no, it, it came out so, so, so lovely. And it feels so rewarding now because of all the work that we had put into it. It feels so rewarding when people are interested in buying it or people get it, get it in the mail and then tag me on Instagram being like, can't wait to like, you know, just got this in the mail today. Like, it makes my heart flutter a little bit with with joy. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, I'm going to yeah. have to order a copy so I can check it out and add it to the collection. Yeah. Yes. And then actually next month I, um, I'm having like a small solo show, like a solo gallery show that we're also going to kind of treat as like a book launch party, even though the book's now been out for a while. Um, uh, we're going to do like a little book party at the opening for the show. And I'm super excited about that. So good thing, good things to come with it for sure. That's cool. And he had one more question. <laughs> um, how did you choose the cover? Um, I had sent Kevin, um, the publisher, probably like three pictures that I think I was considering for the cover. And we ultimately chose this picture together, um, for those of you that don't know. And we chose this picture because I wanted something that was really, um, not jarring, but I wanted something that kind of like evoked, like a really bold image that caught the eye that maybe, um evoked some sort of like curiosity in the viewer that would make them want to come pick it up and open it. You know what I mean? I feel like especially because photo books are becoming more and more of a popular 
format to produce work that then now leads to a slightly more saturated or oversaturated kind of, um, it's it, more and more people are doing it, right? So you, you almost have to kind of work harder to get people to be interested in your book versus blah, 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 right? Everyone else. So I wanted something that was really bold. I was, I, I remember actually being a little nervous that the image would almost like not turn people away, but because it isn't like a flattering landscape or like, you know, all those like little what if isms kind of played in my head. But I, I think that's a perfect cover because it's like one person super, super close up. It's one of like the, I think it's the closest portrait in the whole book. Um, all by them, all by themselves. They take up the whole frame. And then the back cover is like a picture of like a bunch of people in front of a stage. And so I kind of like, like the super zoomed in, to super zoomed out kind of um, play, you know, visual play. But I think I think the cover is great. Plus, they're like making eye contact with the viewer, which I think is another way to like get get that pull. So it was a, I think it was a the right choice for sure. That's cool. Yeah, you, you definitely want to try and find a way to make yourself like unique and, and kind of stand out there. Like as you say, like there's a lot of photo books coming out lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I even played with the idea in my head for a while, having no image on the cover and having it just be, like, text. Um, but I I was so glad that we changed that up real quick and did an image, because it, it really does have this unique presence to it now, you know? Yeah, um, it's neat when, like, photo books have, like, interesting things like that. Like, there's one that I just bought recently. Let me grab it here. <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get into book talk because I brought some other books over from my shelf. <laughs> yeah, where is it? Okay. So I, I've been on like a big Ed and Deanna Templeton kick the last little bit. Um, I love both of their work. It's, it's really amazing. But this has been one of the more interesting books that I've, I've seen. Uh, the Contemporary Suburbium. And it's on one side, it's Ed's book, but then oh. on the other side, it's Deanna's book. And it's in this plastic cover because it doesn't actually have a spine because it's an accordion kind of oh, book. Uh, so when you open it this way, it's Ed's book. But then when you open it this way, it's Deanna's book. Oh, that's so fun. I love, I love, I love things like that. It's it's really cool. Like yeah, I've been digging digging their books a lot, and um, I mean, I, I guess a lot of the ones I've been buying lately have just been like skateboard related uh, books because I get like a lot of uh, inspiration from you know skateboarders turned photographers because that was just what I grew up with. Um, yeah, I'll just what, send me book. I would love to like look more into it. Yeah, I'll I'll send you uh, a list of uh, some interesting books out there uh, for sure. Um, I've been digging Robert Frank stuff too. Um, he's got some really interesting stuff where he's, um, mixed, um, like <clears throat> kind of like what the, I don't know if you like have seen like Geloy Inception on Instagram. It's the person that like writes stuff on top of the photos, like inspirational quotes or like sad messages or whatever. I wonder but, if I have. 
Robert Frank uh, was doing that kind of stuff on film like a long time ago, and there's some like interesting stuff he did with that. And then like uh, he did The Americans, which um, at first um, one of the classic bodies of work in American photography. Yeah, which at first people didn't like it because uh, it didn't show America big and strong and virile. <laughs> Um, yeah, because you know America. <laughs> right. I mean, Robert Frank's like one of the greats, you know. So everyone... yeah, like his books are fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so my friend Matthew, who I, I grew up with, um, he said, "Plus accordions make you nostalgic for hometown." Um, I grew up in this little town called Kimberley, British Columbia, and uh, before the times we live in now. Um, it was the Bavarian city of the Rockies because it was nestled in the Rocky Mountains. Uh-huh. And um, we used to have two things in the summer that would go on. There would be uh, July Fest, which was like an October fest, but in July. And it was just an excuse to get wasted and play bocce. Um, and there'd be like live music and stuff. But then I can't remember if it was before or after July Fest, but it was all around the same time. There was uh, the International Accordion Championships. Oh my gosh. And so it's like for four weeks out of this summer, our town would just be full of like drunk people in Bavarian costumes playing fucking accordion music, (laughs) just like (laughs) Lederhosen and the whole night. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a spectacle. That's something that I, that's something that uh, someone should be photographing. Yeah. Like I, I, I wish I was into photography back then because there would have been, some really interesting opportunities to, um, you know, photograph stuff and just like weird things too. Like the town mascot in Kimberly, but I don't know if he's still the town mascot, but like when I was a kid there, um, it was this Bavarian character named happy Hans uh-huh. who walked around with a beer stein all the time. And, and Kimberly was home of the world's largest cuckoo clock, which um, happy hands lives in and he comes out and he like you know you put money in or every hour on the hour he comes out and he goes um but the last time i visited it was like the saddest moment because happy hands is still there but they've like built around him and then like he's kind of blocked and then they turned his volume down so it's like have you ever heard a dog that's been debarked bark no, I didn't know you could do that to dogs. It's a very cruel thing and people do it. But like when they debark a dog, it still barks, but it has no vocal cords. So it's just like, oh, like it's really God. weird. And they kind of did that to happy hands. They like turned his volume down. So you could just hear this like faint, maybe yodel. And he's like moving and everything. He's, he's the animatronic, but he just, he doesn't, he doesn't do it anymore. And then I got molested by happy hands one summer um <laughs> what? yeah it was it was a weird thing so um one of the jobs that you could get as a kid in kimberly in in the summers is um in the sweltering heat of summer you could be paid minimum wage to wear a really hot suit of happy hands and walk around our outdoor mall which is called a platzel and um this guy that I knew from high school was happy hands that summer. And, uh, I was walking out of the music store, which was in the Platzel. And just as I walked out, happy hands grabbed me and threw me on the ground and started humping me. 
and then um, <laughs> Matt's brother's dog, uh, Matt's brother's Kevin's dog Thor, saw me getting attacked by Happy Hands, and so Thor was like this huge, massive—I don't know if he's like a Malamute husky or something like that—but he was just this big, epic white dog. And so he sees me getting attacked. He jumps on top of Happy Hands, and he's, like, trying to tear the fucking costume apart. And then Kevin, <laughs> Matt's brother, sees this going down. And so he's trying to grab Thor because he doesn't want Thor to, like, fucking kill the guy that's inside of the costumes. And it was just, yeah. It was a... The guy I thought got, it was funny, but it, it got messy really quick. Traumatized. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> what do you do when you grow up in a small town of, like, 5,000 people? I guess, right? <laughs> Yeah. Every town's got its traditions, I guess. <laughs> yeah, ours was like doing drugs and drinking and a lot of drunk driving. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on Long Island, so sounds pretty close to home for me too. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a bunch of like bored suburban, suburban teenagers with nothing else to do. You know what I mean? So, would you guys like go into the city then? Is like you know, a weekend getaway kind of thing, or? I would go into the city every, like a, a bunch with friends here and there to like go to a museum or go get dinner or do something. But, um, you know, a lot of the times, you know, we would just hang out on the island. You know, we'd go, we would just like drive up and down the highways and just like blast music and talk. Um, I, I remember in high school, earlier on in high school, um, do you know Nathan's Hot Dogs? Yes. So yes, I do my town that had like an arcade built into it and my friend and i we were really serious about dance dance revolution and so we would we would go to nathan's after school like three four days a week and play dance dance revolution for a few hours but i remember i remember a lot of times that we'd go there'd be like a bunch of like older boys like they were like 17 or 18 and they'd be out in the parking lot and i remember distinctly more than once I've seen them out there having milk chugging contests where they would all have like a gallon of milk and they would each have to chug a gallon of milk and whoever could last the longest without vomiting one. Just like barbaric, stupid, like... (laughs) Why? That makes no sense. Like, (laughs) bored, straight, white boys, like, mentality is happening. I had no no interest in it whatsoever so like you but then eventually you know like you you you'd go out like in that parking lot area you know when they're not out there and you would see stains in the concrete from like all the times that they like just like vomited milk everywhere it's like so stupid (laughs) so uh that's totally a way to you know pick up pick up uh potential partners and whatnot it's just like you know check me out i am the alpha because i chugged the gallon of milk without spewing everywhere (laughs) It's, it's moments like that that really made me appreciate the idea of Darwinism a lot. <laughs> eat out this bunch. Just weed them out. Weed them out, girl. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I, I've always wanted to, like, check out those areas, though. Like, I, I've been, like, fascinated with, like, New York. And you, you see so much of it in, like, TV and, in, like, you know, movies and stuff. And Well, you know, my, you know what I think I want to be doing next with my, my work and my practice, I think I want to actually start going back to Long Island a lot and making work there. No, no, like real, I don't really know like what the subject is going to be yet, but you know, Long Island is actually the birthplace of modern suburbia. Oh really? Uh, Yeah. um, uh, People, I guess I forget if it was like the thirties or the forties, maybe sooner. I, 
lost track of time. I gotta I gotta go redo my research. It's been a couple of years since I like looked into it, but um, people wanted like an escape from the hustle and bustle of the city um, and wanted something more like quiet that they can like settle down and have this whole little vibe. So there were a couple of like well-known architects at the time that um, came out onto Long Island and just started like making like cookie cutter blueprints of houses um, and like building suburban neighborhoods. And that was kind of like one of the first places where it was done in a contemporary way. When, you know, the way we think of suburbia now, it started in areas like Long Island. And um, there's this one town on Long Island called Levittown. And uh, it's, it's one of the first like real big towns like this in America where every single house almost looks exactly the same because they were all built exactly the same way. And it's kind of like creepy to walk through it. It's, it's got this weird, again, kind of like a black mirror kind of vibe or like a, like a Stepford wives kind of vibe. So I really, I've been really thinking about Long Island and suburbia and kind of not, not glamorizing it in any way though. Cause I, I kind of, there's a lot of things I really dislike about suburbia and especially like Long Island. Um, and so I kind of want to make a very, uh, candid documentary style body of work about the uh, the failures, the successes and the failures of of suburban living. So we'll see. We'll see. Keep, stay tuned. We'll see when that starts rolling out. This could be a, a working title for that milk chuggers. Milk chuggers. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like a picture on the cover of like row homes. I'm gonna write that down for sure. I'm gonna write it down. Milk sugar. <laughs> I mean, if not for a book, that could be a great band name. Um, you know, it's it's a good one. <laughs> Everyone's commenting on our matching. All right, if you need a name, milk chuggers. Milk chuggers, yeah. You know. No, we're not matching on purpose. Uh, it just happened that way. Um, he's wearing Kodak uh, yellow, and I've got like a Kodak. Uh Sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Can't, can't plan these things. Can't make it up, girls. <laughs> no, it, just, it just worked out well that way. And I, I appreciate yeah. you uh, being able to to adjust and uh, join me to uh, be the first episode of the season here. Yeah, I'm honored. I I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, this was such a fun conversation. Yeah, it, it's I, I like doing these things because it's, it's cool to get to know uh, different photographers and like, you know, learn about like what gets them excited and like, you know, what they've been working on and stuff and not have it just be like a gear orgy. Cause that yeah. seems to be what a lot of the photography podcasts are. Yeah. It's so, it's so easy to get into those like geeky, geeky tech talks, but I've, I've never really been one to be very tech minded. Like that's, not usually my priority with photography ever so it's nice to actually just sit and talk about you know other parts of the practice too yeah so, like, so. out of the the stuff you've worked on like you know prior to the book and everything like what's um what's been some of the favorite things you've done or like you know what when you think of like um projects you've worked on or photos you've taken like you know um let's make it easy, like top three favorite things that you've, you've uh, done in in your work so far um, so the, that's a hard question. I guess, I guess one of the things that I was really proud of is the image on the back cover of my book. Not that the image itself is anything like super groundbreaking, but, um, I made this picture 
I don't know. It's like hard to see without a glare. But I made this picture on stage at a huge like drag festival in Brooklyn. Um, and I was actually performing. I came out with my large format camera, my 4.5, and I was lip syncing to a song. But the whole time I was lip syncing, I walked out onto the front of this runway and I read the light meter and I was adjusting the camera. And I kind of, it kind of was this cool, um, it was the first time really where I felt the intersectionality of my drag work and my photography work kind of come together because I now had an audience watching me perform the act of t making an image, right? And without without really talking to them about it or like letting the pe the hundred people in the crowd that I was going to be doing that, people kind of like got got became aware of what was happening. And you see some people. I mean, it was a long exposure. It was probably like a two second exposure, but you see some people that were like absolutely still, I mean, again, it's hard to see now, but some people that were absolutely still cause they knew what was going on. And then you see like a lot of other people like in motion and it's kind of got this like, where's Waldo kind of vibe to it. But, um, I was really proud of that because for years I used to keep my drag and my photography very separated. And that was one of those defining moments. I think that really shifted the way I think about picture making and the, the intersectionality of those two things. Um, so definitely that picture. Um, I was really proud of my, my thesis work from undergrad. Um, I got to show it into like small gallery shows shortly after graduating. Um, and I, to this day, I'm still, it's still something I'm very proud of as a, as a body of work. Um, but then, I mean, some of the pictures in this book are my, my favorite pictures I've ever made in my entire time making pictures. And I think that's always how it should be, right? You should always be more excited and more proud of yourself every, you know, every year, every day that you are out there making work. You know, you should always see your, the evolution, you know, your work always kind of evolving and changing in a, in a positive way. Um, and there's definitely a few pictures in here that I'm absolutely in love with. I'll see if I can like find one really quick while we're talking about it. Oh, this one right here. Again, sorry for the glare, but this picture that I, uh, what is one of the ones I sent you for the Instagram post? Yeah, that's right. This, this was actually the first picture I made outside of my own apartment for this project. That was like the first person I really like went out and photographed. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I went into their living space, not having any clue what I wanted to do. And they were like, they showed me their bedroom, which was this tiny, tiny, tiny little room. And uh, on their bed, they had this gigantic teddy bear. And they were like, yeah, like this teddy bear, like I, 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 when I go to bed at night, I let it be my big spoon. And I kind of like little spoon against this like giant six foot teddy bear. And it gives me like a sense of comfort, you know, and they're kind of explaining the comfort and the, the, you know, the happiness that they get out of being held because they couldn't be held by real people. We were all in lockdown, right? So that was kind of their their escape for that. And uh, I loved that. And then at the top of the image, there's um, this little like upside down heart light, which I loved. And then you can't really see it here, but there's a box, like a cardboard storage box here that on the side of it says small box. And that's what I thought their whole bedroom was. And that's kind of what we were all trapped in, right? Like we're all New Yorkers living in these tiny little apartments that 
have overcharged rent, you know, trying to survive through the pandemic. And we're all just stuck in these little boxes. And so I remembered having that moment where I like got the film developed and I scanned it and saw it as a positive for the first time. And I remember I, it was the first time I'd ever like looked at my own image for the first time and like was jaw dropped a little bit. Cause it kind of all just was so layered and perfect in my brain. And, uh, that, 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 the, the, feeling that I got from seeing that image for the first time was like one of the huge motivators for me to continue making the work and like really put 110% into it. So that's really as a cool. long-winded answer to your question, those are just some of the things that I've been the most excited about. Well, there's one comment here saying undoubtedly the first large format camera drag show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that's so and the, cool. And the performance itself too. I was dealing. I was dealing with a breakup at the time, and uh, the whole song that I was lip syncing to is kind of this not sad, but it's kind of got this like melancholy vibe. It's all about like, um, you know, if I, you know, ten years from now, if I see my former lover, you know, at like the grocery store, you know, we bump into each other for the first time in ten years. Like, what will I tell them that I've been doing with my life? Like, what will I? what will I have accomplished in that time? What will I say? And um, I remember, you know, being all sad and mopey because I was dealing with heartbreak. So tragic. Right. And I was like, you know, putting myself in that thought process. I was like, if I ever see my, my ex in 10 years and, you know, I have to tell them what I'm doing. I want to tell them that I'm a photographer and that I'm working as an artist. And so um, that was kind of what the whole performance was about. But the, the, the image itself like really now is like a testament. Not only is it a really lovely image to look at, I think, but it for me it's also like a nostalgic testament to that kind of mantra, right? It, you know, as artists, you know, we have those days where we're not feeling as motivated or we're not feeling as confident, especially now in the age of Instagram where we're constantly, you know, comparing ourselves to hundreds of other artists in the world. And like that mentality that I put into that that piece, that performance kind of is like my, uh, my, like my, my cheerleader in the back of my brain, you know, like you're, you want to be an artist, like, don't, don't stop, you know, not to be corny, but like, don't give up, you know, like, <laughs> be corny though. Yeah. I think we need more corniness, honestly. <laughs> to simplify it, to put it plainly. Yeah. It's very that. So that's, it's a special picture for me. It's it's a beautiful photo. Like that's I, I love the story behind it and it's so cool that you integrated it into the drag and everything. Like I love what you were saying, like when you did the walkout, you're doing the light meter. Like that's Yeah. That's so awesome. And I- I remember when I walked out with the light meter on the runway of the stage, I remember hearing uh, a friend of mine who like does like event photography and also shoots film, you know, but he, he was in the audience with his, uh, his 35 millimeter. And I hear him as I'm like light metering, you know, I have like a very old school, it's like leather bound light meter. And I remember looking at all these people that like didn't, weren't sure what I was doing because they didn't know what that process was i remember seeing all these confused faces and i hear like faintly my friend's voice pierce through and like i heard him be like fuck yeah you know what i mean like because he got <laughs> what i was doing and i almost broke character because i i almost started laughing a little bit but i had i was like no this is a serious song i gotta i gotta keep going <laughs> Yeah, Jade Florence photo says, I swear as photographers, we hold memories and moments in higher regard visually than most. I mean, you know, when, when, when the whole process and the whole passion behind what we do is all about 
looking at light and looking at our environment and, you know, seeing things that immediately becomes these, the sense that we have that we use most when it comes to recalling feelings and memories and even smells, you know, sometimes I'll look at a photograph that I've made or even another artist's photograph. And there's almost like a smell that you can smell, you know what I mean? Almost like a synesthesia kind of effect. Um, because you are so connected to visual visualization and imagery and stuff. So I think it's such a unique and interesting phenomenon. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And like, that's one of the things that I really love about Polaroids is um, one of the things I'm terrified about is uh, my memory fading and not working as well as it, as it, as it um, has previously, and, you know, as you age and, and whatnot. And like, um, I, I had a car accident last year that affected my brain and like memory stuff has been a little weird since then. But um, one of the things that I've always used Polaroids for is remembering important things. Cause I've kind of found that if I take a Polaroid of a moment, um, if I'm looking through them later and I pick up different Polaroids, it, it almost brings me back to that moment when I took that photo and I can like close my eyes after looking at the photo and like picture the room around me where I took that photo and like what was going on in that moment. And it's just like, I couldn't remember it before holding the photo, but like when I have it, it's, it's like almost like a transporter. It is. It's crazy. You know, it's almost like falling into another world. You know, it makes me think of, um, I don't know if you know, Roland Barthes, the, the art critic and uh, like photography theorist. He has a book. He's like this French dude, <laughs> in, a, in a putting it plainly, who I think in like the, I want to say like the sixties or the seventies, but don't hold me to that. He put out, and it's a really like heavy, like theory book about image making and the, and the process of photography and kind of how it's evolving. But he, the anchor point throughout the whole writing, the whole book is him going back to this one black and white photograph of his mother when she was a child in like a like a flower garden or in like a greenhouse and um how even though his mother has passed and his mother had been like dead for a long time he he looks back at this picture of her as a child and almost like falls into it and really thinks about his mother and the little bit of memory that he has left and he kind of uses this image as a way of holding on to her and the way that he talks about memory and photography is i mean it's mind blowing uh, the way that he puts it into words. So definitely, if you're not familiar, anyone watching, uh, go check it out. I, there's a lot of heavy vocab words in there. Like every once in a while, I had to put a, put the book down on like Google Google search what a word meant. But, uh, <laughs> but totally worth it if you don't mind a patient, a, pa a book that you have to be patient with. Um, Megan is asking, what is the name of the artist uh, writer? Uh, Roland Barthes, R-O-L-A-N-D. B-A-R-T-H-E-S. The book is called Camera Lucida. It's a really small, like, soft, soft cover book. I think you could probably get it on Amazon for, like, 12 bucks. Um, but totally, totally worth it. Especially if you're into, like, the, the really, like, academic, you know, art theory kind of aspect of photography. He, he The way that he writes about photography as a practice and how people interact with it in museums and in public and you know things like that are totally changed the way that i now think about image making for sure so totally worth the read very cool i appreciate you sharing that like 
but books are just um they're just a cool medium like i i've been enjoying books more personally because everything is so it's like it's all digital all the time now like you know a lot of us are working from home a lot of us haven't seen loved ones for so long like I was just talking to a friend in Texas the other day and realized there's like a whole group of friends that I haven't seen since like late 2018. And like it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I finally realized that, like I hadn't realized like, holy shit, it has been 2018 since I saw those people face to face. Like I talked to them in text and like, you know, we talk on Instagram and stuff regularly, but it was just like, fuck me. Like it's been, nearly three years since we've been able to like laugh in the same room and like, you know, have a drink together, share food. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about that. And then like with the work stuff, like I, I work from home. I live in like a studio apartment. So it's like being in a small box all the time. Yeah, <laughs> And it's been kind of getting to me where it's like, I see people on a computer screen all the time. I sit and look at a computer screen when I'm not working on the computer screen. And I'm yeah. like, is, is this real? Am I real? <laughs> <laughs> Was it, did I take the red pill or the blue pill? Am I in the matrix? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Once... if this is the matrix, why isn't there a fat steak in front of me right now? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. You know, and that's another thing that the pandemic I think really made everyone kind of like reevaluate and have a different appreciation for is like those little moments that we take for granted, those little moments of like human interaction really are just like so magical and um, some are something that should be cherished, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think now we've all been pushed into this really great, you know, reappreciation of those little things like that, you know? Like I said, like I had, twice specifically that i could think of people got like teary-eyed when i was in their apartments photographing them because they were like wow like this is so special just like being in a room with another person (laughs) for the first time in four months you know yeah it's it's crazy to think that like something we would take for granted was just like taken away so so quickly and it's weird adjusting to it like um when things kind of relaxed a little bit here in Vancouver before Omicron became a concern um, yeah. in the summer, like, you know, it, 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 it felt almost a little bit like the before times, just a tiny bit because like a bunch of people were all vaxxed and like, it's like, Oh, we can like breathe a sigh of relief and like we're protected and we can do kind of normal things again. And I went to this, uh, this art opening with, with my partner and, a few other people and it'd been the first time that like many of us had been in like a room with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> yeah. We were just like, is this allowed? Are, are we breaking right. the law right now? <laughs> I did it first. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean the, the ways in which it changed nightlife were so vastly like up and down, you know, we were, I remember we were doing shows digitally like on instagram live or like on zoom like dancing in our living rooms with like backdrops you know what i mean like trying to make it work and then we were doing shows like outside in like backyards or even like on the sidewalk in the middle of the city you'd see like we would do like a drag brunch and there'd be like people walking 
through the sidewalk or like around the little outdoor dining areas, you know? And then when we were back inside, we had to wear those clear visors. But then as you're breathing and lip syncing, they fog up in your face. So then you're, you know, it was a whole bunch of phases that we had to go through because of it. And you're right. There was a little bit of a time at, you know, end of 2021, middle end of 2021, where it did feel like the before times, right, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we didn't have to wear the face shields and people can get up from their seats. Like, they were they were allowed to, you know, stand again. They didn't have to stay seated. And now, now we're kind of seeing it on a bar-to-bar basis, kind of retroactively taking, you know, precautious steps. And it's a bummer. Obviously, safety to me is priority. I would rather do any sort of measure like that than have no no nightlife again for eight months, you know. But uh, it really is a whirlwind and at times a headache, you know, to, to deal with it. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an odd I, one. Um, right? Jade Florence also says, uh, Haley Miller Baker as a photographer blends her memories and generational memories. And I've always loved that theory too. Mm. That's interesting. I'll have to check I, that out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know Haley Miller Bakers. I'll have to look them up. Yeah. I'll have to look them up too. And oh, she, they also say we absolutely had the same here in Australia. There was a tiny period in November when it felt like the before times. Yeah. I think yeah. that's about it. Like, you know, around the summer, like fall, it just, it, it felt kind of normal. And yeah, yeah, now it's just like, did that even happen? <laughs> yeah. I know. Part of me now almost wants to keep photographing this project. You know, I mean, obviously the book is done and nothing I make now is going to become part of that. But I almost now want to be like, do I keep documenting queers during the pandemic now that we're like hit again with this wave, you know? So. Well, I mean, of- you could always do a follow up to it. Right. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, obviously I would make the work and then share it on Instagram or, you know, whatever, what have you. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, yeah. And sorry, let me just. Also, you, hi, what, what if you like, cause you, this one was like until night comes, what if you flip around and it was like, you know, the people during the, the day, like what they do in like their normal life, like capturing them, doing like their their normal routine things right 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 i mean yeah definitely definitely something i've thought about you know and uh as a way to expand the parameters for which i was shooting in you know what i mean kind of ways to add on to it and stuff definitely food for thought you know pictures of people like because majority of these i mean there are some pictures again like as things started becoming um normal again and we were having you know shows and stuff i was making pictures like at at venues and of of performers you know but um yeah having them just like outside just doing day-to-day things too could be another really fun way to kind of add on to the series so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be ever changing and evolving and i think i'm always for my entire life i'm probably always gonna be photographing the queer community i don't think it's something that i ever see becoming boring for me you know what i mean so um every every picture i make of the community will just be an extension of the kind of work that was in this book so 
Well, and it's amazing to have that kind of representation too, like to document the things that you see and like, you know, that those will be very important photos like down the road. I think so. You know, and I think, you know, obviously there are other photographers, great photographers that dedicate a large part of their career to photographing subcultures or more specifically even like the queer community, you know, but I find that a lot of times they themselves are either like not queer, but so they come to it as more of like a curiosity, you know what I mean? Um, or, or they don't want to be uh, like pigeonholed into being like those, that gay photographer that photographs gay stuff, you know what I mean? But I, I think it, I think it's, I think being a queer person documenting queer communities kind of gives you like a level of access um, that maybe wouldn't be as easily achieved. You know, there's, there's a certain level of like camaraderie and vulnerability that I get out of um, that. I get out of my subjects, you know, people that I photograph because we have similar life, you know, experiences and similar, you know, especially now, you know, we all have this like collective trauma from the pandemic that we're dealing with, you know, with its own like unique queer lens. And I think, I think it helps out, you know, it helps me get that nice intimacy, that good, that good juicy emotion out of the picture. (laughs) Well, I think that's what makes a great photo is when you can have that intimacy inside of it. For sure. I think that's what that's what's missing from a lot of like the the Instagram stuff that you see out there is that there's these pretty images for sure, um, but they just they don't have like an intimacy or they don't have like a, like very, a substance like, to them. Yeah, they're very they're very one note. Yeah. Again, even if they're beautiful, I've seen you know Instagram photographs that, in in terms of like the pretty aesthetic, are pictures that I probably couldn't make myself or you know at least not as well as they do it with however they do their editing and all that stuff but uh but it's easily digestible you know what that's the thing with instagram is you're constantly like this just scrolling so you get you know a second you know a person stops on a picture for a second and then it's digested and then they scroll you know what i mean and i think what makes a good picture differ from a really great picture is what's that image that's going to stop someone on that picture for longer and have them look at it more and really kind of start to look for that meaning or look for those layers that you don't see just from that immediate one second swipe through you know does that make sense or is that no that absolutely makes sense because it's like you know a lot of it is you want it to be captivating so you get people to stop scrolling and, and sometimes that, that's hard to, like, do that with, with heavy photos that have emotion inside of them because, um, you know, it doesn't give you that happy, you know, sort of dopamine hit that, that you want from, like, a, a bubbly kind of, like, Instagram sort of photo. Sure, um, of course. But that's more what I look for when, when I'm going through stuff. So it's like I've changed how I um, behave with Instagram, and I don't do as much scrolling and like there's certain people that I like their stuff so it's like I'll go look at their things because the feed doesn't always show the the most recent stuff so um you know I like to look at people's um profiles instead of just like relying on the feed 
Um, and, and most of what I use Instagram for now is just doing this, like doing the lives and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's true. It's true. And I actually never really thought about that, like, at a conscious level, you know, because I have a separate Instagram for my my drag and all of that, and then a separate one for my photography. And I feel like when I'm on my drag one, my habit is kind of more of that that mindless scroll kind of thing. But with my photography Instagram, something I do a lot when I'm digesting content, so to speak, is like, it's something I actually do late at night before bed. It like kind of was my ritual, my nightly ritual for a while during the pandemic where I would do kind of what you just said, like go to people's profiles, scroll through, but not mindlessly, like, you know, with intention. And I would share images that I have some sort of response to on my own. I'll like share them on my story. And then I would keep doing that in like, in a really short amount of time. And like within like a half an hour to 45 minutes. And then what I've kind of realized I was doing was it kind of felt like when you go then look at my story and there's like 12 to 15 pictures that aren't my own from all these different artists. It's almost like I'm creating this like miniature 24 hour gallery or like lookbook. You know yeah. what I mean? Which That's I always, cool. I, I like that idea where it's like you're, you're making like a, a temporary gallery out of these things that inspired you. That's cool. Yeah, a little digital lookbook that that inspired me. But then also, you know, sometimes the images would all be very different from one another. But or like a couple of weeks ago, I was really missing black and white photography. And so I was looking specifically for like black and white images. And I did all these black and white ones, you know, and um, but it was a fun little exercise. And uh, then I'd like wake up the next morning and like go back and look at my own story and then be like, all right, cool, maybe Maybe next time I go out and make a picture, I'll keep this element of this picture in mind and, you know, things like that. Plus, then, you know, at the end of the day, at its most basic level, it's it's you supporting other artists on a social media platform, which whether we like to say that we don't care about social media or not, you know, at least millennials, you know, we there is a little bit of that like serotonin boost or that like validation you get when people share your images and stuff. So it feels nice to also like, in, my, in its own little way, it feels like I'm helping, you know, support other artists, which is always nice, you know. Hi, yeah. Lindsay. It's nice <laughs> to lift each other up. Um, and Jade also said, I prefer being pigeonholed as a queer photog on indigenous land because it allows for the vulnerability and less warm up time. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think it's easier for people to open up when they know that it is like, you know, there's a. Like you, like we were saying earlier, you know, like when me as a queer person, I go to photograph someone, I feel like it's easier for them to get comfortable than if it was like maybe uh, someone that's not part of the queer community who maybe doesn't know about certain intricacies or um, experiences or ways of living that we deal with. You know, there is like that. And even with even when I would go to people's homes and it was my first time meeting them, you know, and it's like, hey, thanks for letting me into your house. I'm Max, you know, like yeah. we're meeting time. There is almost, there was almost always like, you know, that immediate level of understanding that never was really spoken. You know, it was more of like a subtext, you know, but, uh, it's, 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 it's comforting. I guess in a way. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you hanging out with me and, and spending some time, um, to talk about like your work and, and your book and everything and um, you know, letting us in on some of the photos that uh, you're really proud of. Um, it was really cool chatting with you, Max. 
it was really cool chatting with you too, Merlin. I really had a great time. And again, I'm, I uh, am thankful to be your first episode of season three. Yeah, <laughs> the, I'm, I'm thankful that you, you get to be the, the first episode for the, oh, the first oh, season oh, two. Uh, off on a good note, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's starting on a high note. Um, next week I'm going to have uh, Dave Rollins on, who's another great large format photographer. Um, I talked to him in season one and uh, he always kind of felt a little bad because he, he felt like it wasn't a great episode. I disagreed with him on it, but um, he released a book last year as well, too, um, about photographers. Um, he went around uh, the States and took pictures of different photographers. Uh, so there's like a, a few of my photo pals who have yet to, to meet yet that are in there and a few that I have uh, have met that were in the book. And um, I'm also in, in the book to my profile picture, the black and white of me. That was the photo that, that Dave took. Um, have, so I'll have to tune in for that. Yeah. He's, um, he's fantastic. Uh, fantastic dude. He lives out in the Bay area in, uh, in California. He, uh, he runs a photo lab there and um, is also just a wealth of knowledge for large format. So um, if you have any questions uh, about large format of things you're working on, um, you should give him a follow. His Instagram is Cinedar, C-I-N-E-D-A-R. I think Dan just wrote it in the chat. Yeah, Cinedar. I'll definitely follow him right after this. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a fantastic dude. And, uh, you know, it was great chatting with you and getting to know you more. And if I do end up going to New York, um, I will uh, definitely hit you up and we can grab some foods. I would say we're getting coffee and food. Let's do it. I love um, it. And thank you everyone who tuned in and, you know, listened. I hope you all had a, had a good time with us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have outro music now too. So this is the first time with the outro music. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, stay safe out there. And, you know, thank you everyone for uh, being part of the chat. Um, it was a lot of fun. And thank you, uh, Dan. And thank you to Tired Eyes for introducing us because, um, you know, that was uh, how we got linked up. And, uh, definitely looking forward to checking your book out. So, thank um, you. If you're interested in picking up a copy of Max's book, hit the link in his profile and uh, you can grab a copy of your own. Thank you, everyone. Right, thank stay you, Stay safe Mark. out there, guys. Stay safe, be healthy. You too. Take care, Max. Bye. Bye.